You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dadair. Today the plan is to continue working through some of the questions. We'll see where that takes us. As always, be sure to check out the comments section. If you have any questions or if you have any comments on the Green Bay Packers situation and want it aired on the podcast, phone number's in the description. Otherwise, I would just encourage you to please leave that iTunes review on iTunes, which... Maybe it didn't need to be said twice. Maybe it did. I don't know. Maybe you should get up off my truth. I don't know that either. Just spitballing here, just giving you some ideas for your life. But while you're pondering that, let's take a little break. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned this or not. The original um, t-shirts, which are available if you check out the comment section, click the link next to merch. The original um, Packernet podcast t-shirts on the back the first one that I received on the back, it does say, you don't know my truth. I think that's fantastic. And if you would like one of those t-shirts, which would be very understandable, um, you can either let me know or uh, drop a line in the Facebook group or whatever. We'll get you one of those bad boys. But anyways, we'll take a break and get right back into it. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, for the record, the only reason I wanted to take that off of the shirt is because the podcast isn't big enough that generally as I walk around, not like people in Madison would care, but nobody would understand that it's meant to be ironic. And I feel like as I walked around, I would get kicked and punched a lot, and the only thing I could say in that instance would be, yeah, it makes sense. And I don't want to get kicked and punched and not be able to retaliate. I don't want to get kicked in the face and have to feel like, I deserved that. So, I got one t-shirt that has it, I'll be able to walk around knowing it's a joke, laughing and giggling on the inside while people look at me like I'm weird. But for the most part, I, you know, maybe in a few years when I'm uh, taking Stephen A. Smith's job and become an obnoxious blowhard and that becomes my, you know, 
my, my line, I'll slap it on the t-shirt. Because then everyone will know. Then the only people who want to kick and punch me are people that think that that's actually a good saying to say. And I will have no problem kicking and punching them back. Anyways, let's get into some questions. Alright, so the first question, I'm going to try to at least pack two in here. From a listener from Wyoming. Says, with the addition of Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, and the return of Mr. Cole Madison... Do you believe guys like Lucas Patrick and Jason Spriggs will be on the roster in 19 or 20? Well, I guess we'll, we'll kind of walk through it because my initial thought is Jason Spriggs has a much better shot than Lucas Patrick. But I'm definitely not going to rule out Lucas Patrick. So the, the starting offensive line as I see it right now is Bakhtiari, Lane Taylor, Corey Lindsley, Billy Turner, Brian Balaga. The next three guys on the list have to be number one, Elton Jenkins, because obviously I kind of expect him to take Lane Taylor's job. Cole Madison, you know, maybe we have a little bit too much hype for him. I don't really know what the expectation is. However, compared to, you know, Lucas Patrick, Adam Pankey, those kinds of guys, I I would hope he could at least be um, better than them and be able to take their spot. And then probably Justin McRae. All of these guys are interior guys. So right off the bat, Lucas Patrick just got smashed right in the mouth. Jason Spriggs, not too much. Jason Spriggs is a backup tackle, and there's not a whole lot of competition there. Now, technically, Cole Madison can kind of, I guess, possibly play tackle. Um, Justin McRae has tried it and isn't very good at it. I don't think there's any talk of Elton Jenkins play. So I, I don't think so. Otherwise, it's Billy Turner. And again, maybe the long-term plan is for Billy Turner to be a tackle. But to answer the question directly, I don't think there's really any chance that he's not on the roster. I'm talking about Jason Spriggs in 2019. But this is really a prove-it year. So the question was 2019 or 2020. I hope he's on the team in 2020 because he earned it. Because I do think he kind of showed a little bit. It got lost. I was talking to a friend yesterday. And it's funny how certain things just kind of got lost because it was just such a weird year. On one hand, you had some people that had kind of a bad year, and I kind of forgot about it, like Mason Crosby. And I I think maybe it's a little overblown. Talk about that some other time, perhaps. But it was, you know, you kind of look at it and look at the numbers, and it's like, oh, yeah, I don't remember him having a bad year, but I guess he did. Because everything else was just so horrible, it kind of got lost in the shuffle. On the other hand, Jason Spriggs comes in at times and plays a little less horribly than you expect, and you don't give him credit because I I just don't care. Like I'm, I'm not in the mood right now. So everything was just kind of crazy. But I think Jason Spriggs did take a step. I think Justin McRae kind of stepped up a little bit. A few others, again, don't want to go down any rabbit holes, so we'll just say some others. But this is his this is his big year. And I think the Packers, re- I mean, it, it, it's actually pretty pivotal. Because if he can step up and be a really good tackle, and he's got the tools, he just hasn't put it together, the Packers are in a really good situation. Because as I see it, again, unless Billy Turner ends up being a, a great tackle, which I kind of doubt, just being honest, it's possible, but I, eh. if, if Spriggs can't do it and Turner can't do it, we're in kind of a lot of trouble. So I think from a personnel standpoint, the Packers really, really, really want him to succeed. But Lucas Patrick is a, a tough question. Um, my honest answer is, is no. Um, he's turning 26. He's played essentially two years, played 279 snaps last year. Um, according to PFF, he did not have one good game ever. I mean, you know, last year uh, he had one average game. He had two games where he was graded as good as a pass blocker, once against Chicago, once against Detroit. 
in 2017 he had so so in two years through I don't know how many games he was given a grade of good once 66 snaps at right guard against Minnesota in 2017 week 16 that was sandwiched between three games week four week six and week 17 strangely every single game was against a division rival Chicago Minnesota Minnesota and Detroit three out of those four games abysmal passing grade so I, I, I really think the Packers' offensive line has been in bad shape. It's been that way for a long time. It needs a reboot. The Packers are going to try to reboot it, and I hope it's successful. Unfortunately, what that means is guys like Lucas Patrick, who really don't belong on the offensive line, right? He, he Last year at the end of the year, he was basically the backup center, left guard, right guard. He was the backup interior guy. I think with a strong offensive line, Lucas Patrick is more of your practice squad guy. So I, I guess my honest answer is if things go well, Lucas Patrick is not on the team. If he's on the team, obviously the slight chance that he does really well and earns it. But, you know, undrafted free agent, he hasn't shown anything. Just don't think so. Spriggs, hopefully. I mean, he just turned 25. Again, second-round pick, crazy athleticism. And, and one of the things I like about him, especially if we start talking about him as a right tackle is the fact that he's actually comparatively a pretty good run blocker. His pass blocking isn't elite, but he didn't really have too many bad games last year. If you if we look at what he did, he played weeks 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. He started in 12 through 16. Played right tackle in every single one of these games. Uh, week 16 was only one snap, but whatever. Week 11 against Baltimore was the only game in which he was given well a really bad pass blocking grade. Week 12, and, and granted, none of these are great, but week 12 was kind of high average. Week 13 was barely below average. Week 14 was right at average. 15 was above average, and 16 was just barely good. In 278 total snaps, he gave up three sacks, three hits, 11 hurries, 17 total pressures, zero penalties. It's a total pressure rate of under 4%. Actually, I'm lying. That's his total snaps. If we look at his pass blocking reps, it was 9%. Now, that's not David Bakhtiari, who's sitting at a ridiculous 2.4%, which, you know, we can directly look at that based on what we know about pass rushers, right? I always say we want about 10% at least. You get above that, you're getting into some pretty good territory. You get below that, we're kind of getting into eh, territory. So 9% is not bad. It's not good, and it needs to get better, but I'm, I'm just trying to give some kind of context. Uh, Brian Balog is 4%, so again, Brian Balog is fantastic. Spriggs needs to get better, but I, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I think there's a chance. And I do like the fact that he's, you know, probably a better run blocker at this point than Brian Balaga is, which seems crazy because, you know, you look at who Brian Balaga was when they drafted him, you get this giant, I think Mike Mayock kept calling him a meathead or a blockhead or something. But I don't know. We'll have to see how it goes. But that's my initial thought is that Lucas Patrick probably isn't going to be on the team. He definitely has a shot, but I think partially it has to do with how many guys are we keeping? Um, what are guys like Cole Madison going to be able to produce? Um, I'm assuming Justin McCray is going to going to be able to beat him out because he's just better. Um, but even then, I, I, I would say Adam Pankey, maybe even if they have another guy beyond that is is probably has a pretty good shot of beating out Lucas Patrick as much as I didn't care for Adam Pankey. No, there was a lot of hype about Pankey and oh, he's a really good tackle. And I just thought that was insane. I think he's a terrible tackle. But as far as an interior guy, I think Adam Pankey is probably going to beat him out. Um, 
So we'll see. I mean, there's there's definitely going to be a lot of competition there, but that's going to be where I'm at. Spriggs is going to get one more year to prove it, and uh, Patrick probably won't be on the team. I've got a couple questions from Eric from Toledo. I don't know how many of these I'm going to be able to answer, <laughs> just because they're, um, I don't know. Let's just start at the top. Maybe I just don't understand. Is it okay now to refer to Josh Jones officially as, what I've been calling him for a while now, quote, the guy who should have been Juju Smith-Schuster and solved our wide receiver problem, but instead represents why Ted Thompson is no longer Packers GM? Oh, never mind. I get it now. For some reason, I was thinking he was saying Josh Jones should have played wide receiver, and I was like, man, it's a little out there for me. Yeah, I I, I don't know. and It's actually kind of interesting, and I don't want to say officially that I know the Packers have a change in philosophy, but... There does seem to be a little bit of a shift, maybe. And the biggest shift that I see that I like is getting away from traits and moving a little bit more toward good football players. Now, I know that seems silly because you look at the RAS for Rashawn Gary, you look at the speed of um, Darnell Savage and, and et cetera, et cetera. They're still doing the same thing. So maybe I am wrong. But I think the thing with Josh Jones, if you look at him, is... He's a guy who has all the tools. Same with Jason Spriggs. He's got all the tools you could want, but he's not really a good football player. It's developmental guys. Kevin King, developmental guy. I know I keep hammering him. I I have never wanted to be more wrong about a guy in my life than Kevin King. I hope everybody's right and I'm wrong. I'm going to keep saying it, though, until he can prove he's right. Until, you know, everyone can prove he's... they. Anyways, especially, it's seemingly, especially second round, that's where we get high upside trait guys. And, you know, maybe it's a, a coaching problem. Maybe it's a deficiency with the, the coach's ability to bring them up to where they should be. I don't know, because Jason Spriggs hasn't gone to a new team, and a lot of guys haven't gone to a new team. Maybe Josh Jones goes somewhere else and gets coached up real good and becomes a great football player, in which case we don't have good coaches. right? I mentioned that with Seattle, how they constantly went out and got developmental offensive linemen but didn't have the talent at offensive line coaching to be able to develop them. So it was a waste. Instead of just getting lesser talented, lesser upside guys that are just solid, that can just plug and play at a you know decent level, that's what they went out and got. So I, And I kind of hope so because we've wasted a lot of picks. You know, I don't know how many times Ted Thompson makes a pick and everyone kind of goes, oh, 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 okay. And because he was so respected and because the Green Bay Packers are a generally very successful organization most people look at every single pick and go oh it's a good pick i've mentioned that before too same with the patriots everything the patriots do oh that was brilliant it doesn't matter what they do everyone's going to say it's brilliant because people who have a vested interest in sounding smart know that any sound clip any tweet anything that they say that is positive toward the patriots is probably going to have a good roi so you can go back and say oh look i told you this was going to be a great pick No, you just know that Bill Belichick is smarter than you, and when he does something different than what you think he should do, he's probably right. So if you get out, and rather than getting out and saying, well, that's weird, I didn't expect that, I think that's going to bite him in the butt, you just get out and say, oh, that is brilliant, look what he's doing. They they did the same thing with Ted Thompson for a long time. He always picked guys that nobody understood, like I did not expect that, and then we just assume that it's brilliant. I don't think Gutekunst quite gets the same kind of respect, he obviously has to earn that. Oh, we got a song coming here, folks. No song? What do I pay you for? I don't even understand. That was horrible. Now, I guess on the flip side, if I'm going to give him a little bit more respect, I think if you kind of look at it, 
look at all the draft picks in the second round, it's easy in hindsight to say that that was a, a really dumb thing and, and obviously you should have done this, that, or the other thing. But the draft, even in the first round, generally is, is you know, you get five, six, seven, eight, nine people making bad decisions and then one really good decision, right? So yes, Josh Jones went at 61, Juju went at 62, and Alvin Kamara went at 67. However, uh, Tano Passanio went to the Chiefs at 59. Ethan Posick uh, went to the Seahawks at 58. Zach Cunningham, 57. Obi Melanfonwu, 56. Dalvin Tomlinson, 55. Raekwon McMillan, 54. Tease Tabor, horrible pick that I really liked at 53. Browns took Kaiser at 52. Demarcus Walker at 51. Justin Evans at 50. Ryan Anderson at 49. Joe Mixon is pretty good, but... Only fell because he busted a woman in the jaw and probably should be in prison. Uh, Tyus Bauer, 47. You know, you, you get what I'm saying, right? This is just how the draft goes. Everybody makes really, really dumb decisions, and once in a while somebody gets lucky. The Pittsburgh Steelers made a good pick. They deserve respect, but it's not that they're brilliant, or it's not even in the context of the way you're saying it. To be fair to Ted Thompson, it's not that everybody knew that Juju was going to be great except the Packers. Come on, give me a. What is that? What is happening? Dumb Twitter. I'm getting excited about a song now. But I, I guess if we kind of put it as a a middle ground between Ted Thompson as a joke and looking at it a little more realistically, what we could say is this. Old school Ted Thompson, like prime Ted Thompson, he nails Juju Smith-Schuster in this round. Right? He doesn't miss on a home run wide receiver sitting in his on his lap in the second round. That's the middle ground I'll find there. The bigger and more important question is, would Brian Gutekunst have gotten Juju Smith-Schuster? And the one thing that gets me excited is, as I've said now several times, the entire reason he was hired is because Mark Murphy said, go get me your notebook that has all the notes on, you know, the the draft, all the grades, all that thing. And he went back and looked at it compared to who we picked and realized that had Brian Gutekunst been pulling the trigger, we would have done a lot better, meaning we missed out on some really good guys because we had the wrong person making the picks. So in my mind, I can just make up whatever I want and be like, see, he would have picked Juju, man. He knew. He would have got Alvin Kamara. He knew what's up. In reality, he probably would have drafted uh, Deshaun Kaiser at 33, but wh- whatever. I, again, I can make up whatever I want. Do what I want. Um, the next question. Maybe this will be more of a Facebook question because I don't know how to answer this, but it's very, very clever and funny, and it's probably not even meant to be answered. It's just a funny thing. How many touchdowns necessary... Before Lambo starts serving the Jay Sternberger. Here's something else that I think would be interesting. What is going to be on it? I think it'd be good. I mean, if we look at it, everything about his life says burger. And really all I'm talking about is where he's kind of been from. So he's from Oklahoma. In my mind, that just kind of screams real good, like a solid burger patty. Right? We're talking about the beef, the cows, the cattle. Then he goes to school at Texas A&M. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is steak. I don't know if you're allowed to put a steak on a cheeseburger, but I'd like to try it. But if we're not going to do that, I'm at least picturing a burger that's like a barbecue kind of thing, you know? Get some pulled pork, get some bacon, slather it with barbecue sauce. And then obviously he comes to Green Bay, so we got to load that thing up with some cheese. Maybe put some cheese curds on it, some fried cheese curds or something. Don't don't put anything else on it, though. I mean, you can, you can come up with other stuff that tastes good, but if you put lettuce on it, I'm going to smack you in the face with some lettuce. Stop doing that to a cheeseburger. Should we put some salad on it? Get out of my life forever. What is wrong with people? You're like the guy at the end of the meeting 
when everybody's ready to go, when the, when the person presenting says, does anyone have any questions, you actually raise your hand. Dude, I want to go. Why do you have a question right now? Stop trying to be responsible and let me enjoy my life. Gotta have lettuce and tomato. Just get a salad on the side. Get away from me. There's free grass and leaves right outside the door. Go graze. I need to start. I, I would hate to work in the restaurant industry, but that would be a lot of fun. Just serve food that tastes delicious. There's nothing healthy, and every time somebody asks for a healthy option, I tell them to go outside and graze in the lawn. It's getting a little long anyways. Not sure my vegetarian wife would appreciate that, but it would be a dream of mine. Anyways, call that the Facebook uh, question of the day. What's it going to take to get the Jay Sternberger on the menu, and what does the Jay Sternberger look like? I know mine was a little bit boring and generic, and that kind of burger already exists. Mine is the fried cheese curds, mind you. Maybe instead of pulled pork, it's like brisket or something. You know what I mean? That'd be good. It's a good, hearty, like, one-pound burger with some smoked brisket and some fried cheese. Cr- oh, man. The Jay Sternberger. Thank you, Eric. Lastly, he posted a, uh, a quote from Vince Lombardi. He says, I consider speed, agility, and size to be the three most important attributes in a successful lineman. Give me a man who has any two of these dimensions, he'll be okay. But give him all three, and he'll be great. We think he has all three. He was talking about uh, Willie Davis at the time. But at the bottom, as Eric pointed out, sounds a lot like they're talking about Rashawn Gary. So something I haven't done, but there's a website called playerprofiler.com. Just another site that has all these different kinds of metrics, and then they're able to do a comparable. His comparable is Taekwon Lewis, but interestingly enough, what, he, what he's got is, so they got the 40-yard dash, but then they have a speed score, a burst score, and, and, a, and an agility score. And what this is, is rather than just looking at 40 time or whatever, it's kind of taking all of it together and and coming up with a speed score, burst score, and agility looking at those three different metrics. So speed score is based on 40 time taking into consideration the height and weight. The burst score equally looks at the height and weight and then looks at the the vert and the broad jump to measure the zero inertia explosiveness. And then agility, there's no explanation, but assumingly we're looking at things like three cone. The speed score that Rashawn Gary was given puts him in the 100th percentile. He puts in the notes that anything over a score of 110 is considered extraordinary. His score was 125.9. His speed-to-size ratio is something that just doesn't really exist. It's ridiculous. His burst score is in the 99th percentile. says anything over 130 is considered extraordinary. He had a 124.6. His agility score, which I don't think gets enough credit, is in the 97th percentile. So when we look at the Lombardi standard, which still carries today, I talked about how Mike Pettin said it's a size-speed league. Well, they agree on two, and I'm sure agility doesn't hurt. Six foot four, 277 pounds, he's a big boy. He's got the size. Speed, 100th percentile. Agility, 97th percentile. Burst as, as a bonus, 99th percentile. According to all the metrics that you can look at, as far as what kind of, of attributes you need to be a success in the NFL, he's got everything and, and more, which, you know, everybody kind of knew that. But I feel like the general tenor, the tone about Rashawn Gary is coming out of high school, he was an athletic freak, right? He was the highest recruit in the nation, probably one of the biggest names coming out since Jadavian Clowney. But he didn't really produce all that much. He gets into the college competition He's just kind of an average dude. He's still pretty athletic for his size, and that's cool. 
but he's not exactly the same kind of freak that everybody expected him to be. No, he still is. He's just different. Some people are just different, he's just different. His genetics are just weird. He does things that human beings shouldn't be able to do. At six foot four, two 277 pounds, guys shouldn't move like he does, but he does. Still. Now, that doesn't automatically translate to anything. But again, we're talking about Pettin, who's got the good scheme. We're talking about the depth that's going to be able to help. We're talking about the guys on the interior that are going to be able to help him. As far as, you know, it's not just going to be he's the only guy, so he's going to get double teamed all the time. He's probably never going to see a double team, or at least very rarely. If he does, it's because he's become a freak. You talk about Mike Smith, who's going to be able to coach him up, which I think is important because, you know, again, look at what happened with D. Ford and Justin Houston. Having the attributes only takes you so far. You need somebody that says, here's what you do with it. So everything's laid out for him. Super excited. But we're going to cut it right there. Still doing two-a-days, so uh, make sure you get both episodes in today. Otherwise, enjoy your day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.